All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to the second hour of Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank our sponsors for the second hour of today's show for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors are NanoStruck Technologies, Paramount Gold and Silver Corp., Columbus Gold, and Golden Arrow Resources. Well, I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time Dr. Murray Sabrin. Uh, Dr. Sabrin uh, is Professor of Finance uh, in the Ainsfield School of Business at Ramapo College in New Jersey. His uh, Ph.D. is in Economic Geography from Rutgers University. That's, uh, that's music to my ears because that's where I have my undergraduate degree from. Uh, he uh, has an M.A. in Social Studies Education from Lehman College and a Bachelor's uh, of Arts in History. Uh, geography and social studies uh, from uh, Hunter College. Uh, Murray has worked in commercial real estate sales, marketing, personal portfolio management, uh, economic research as well. He is a co-founder and president of Inverse Square, that's LLC, that's a manufacturer and distributor of Conjure LH, the world's first lubrihibitor, um, and the website for that is uh, Conger. LH.com. Murray is the author of uh, Tax Free 2000 The Rebirth of American Liberty, and uh, he is also contributing com- columnist for polit- PoliticerNJ.com, and is currently writing uh, a book called Ask Me About Ponzi Scheme Deceit and Deception from Woodrow Wilson to Barack Obama. Murray was uh, the Libertarian Party nominee for governor in 1997. In 2000 and 2008, he sought the Republican nomination for the Senate from New Jersey. So I uh, I should also like to mention before we say hello to Murray that uh, his website, and where all of you should really mark this down, Murray Sabrin, that's M-U-R-R-A-Y-S-A-B-R-I-N.com, is where you should go to follow everything that Murray does. Welcome, Murray. It's really good to have you with me on Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, I appreciate the opportunity, Jay, to speak to you and your audience. Well, it's, it's really great to know you, learn to know you a little bit. I've, I've known of you, but now that I've prepared for this, uh, for this interview, I've learned a lot more about you, and you do have a very impressive background. You are a, lo- a lover of liberty, with a lot of talents and a lot of uh, good academic background, and not only academic background, but as I read your bio, I realize you also have a lot of practical experience in the real economy. So you're not just an ivory tower uh, academician, but also a, a person that uh, sees the world the way it really works. So that, I think, is very, very important because so many of these academicians uh, are very much detached from the real world. 
I'd like to ask you, uh, you know, we're hearing um, that things are getting better in the economy. The mainstream media, they might admit that the U.S. economy isn't doing nearly as well as it used to, but the general remarks uh, that I hear from CNBC and the like is that you know, times aren't that great, but they're getting better, and we're certainly on the, uh, we certainly have the, the right policy mixes or close to it. What are your thoughts on that? Are, is the economy getting better, first of all, and what about the policies that are being implemented? Well, this is one of the most interesting questions there is because uh, from a lot of um, uh, data that we have, this has been one of the worst recoveries. It's not the worst recovery in American uh, history, at least in the uh, last hundred years, because usually after you have a severe downturn, you have a pretty uh, sharp snapback, mm-hmm. and we certainly haven't had it this time. The economy is growing at a snail's pace. Unemployment, by some metrics, as uh, John Williams points out at shadowstats.com, is anywhere from 16 to 20 percent the unemployment rate, which is really uh, a, a horrific statistic. It's comparable to Great Depression levels when we bottomed out at 25% in 1933. So using that measure, the economy is really in awful shape. On the other hand, we have all these great products coming out from Apple and all these other great companies that have been um, just innovators and creators of um, new technologies. And so mm-hmm. on the one hand, you've got all these wonderful things happening. We were just at the mall the other day in Short Hills, New Jersey, one of the top malls in the United States. And uh, people are shopping, uh, going to some of the very upscale stores. People are uh, buying their bags of full. And, of course, uh, this is even before we reach Black Friday, the Friday after Thanksgiving. So uh, I think we have a what, what I think we can call a bifurcated economy. If you're in the upper income brackets, you're doing uh, quite well. If you're in a low to middle income uh, income brackets, you're not doing so well. And if you're unemployed, you're in really horrible shape. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. Well, I, I'm familiar with Short Hills a little bit. I used to live in Morristown, New Jersey, many years ago, sure. and that whole area there is is quite affluent. But it reminds me a little bit, Murray, of something that. Um, Alistair McLeod talked about on this show not long ago, uh, something called the cotillion effect, I think, and you as an economist may, may be familiar with that notion that when money is created, basically the people that are closest to the feeding trough, that is the financial mm-hmm. centers, do extremely well, but they yep. do well at the expense of the people in the real economy. So the people that get the first dibs on new money created, that would be the government, GDP, people that are involved in the government and in Wall Street and so on and so forth, they are doing extremely well, or very well well anyway and of course those are the people that seem to be probably have the more influence and the people we see all the time on cnbc for example so uh, it's that doesn't surprise me too much what you're telling me but on the other hand when i go out to ohio where my brother lives uh, the rust belt and areas where i grew up uh, things are not good at all in fact i would say they look at places are looking you know not as bad as detroit necessarily but 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 the country is looking like we're in a depression more than a recovery yeah, well, this is the thing about it, the U.S. economy is that really it's a combination of uh, dozens and dozens of regional economies mm-hmm. that when you put it all together, you have a macro economy. And what you mentioned before about the Italian effect, that's basically the thesis of my uh, doctoral dissertation where I showed how inflation affects local economies and that uh, where the money enters the system, which is the big banks uh, throughout the country, that's where we see the higher real estate prices, higher um, uh, prices for a whole bunch of goods and services, and that's uh, borne out by all the data on real estate. Uh, New York City's real estate prices, San Francisco, Boston are through the roof, while places like Ohio and Kansas, real estate prices are much more moderate, especially for single-family houses and, and commercial real estate. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, you, you mentioned, uh, I think you mentioned unemployment, uh, perhaps John Williams' numbers suggesting upwards to 20% or so. Uh, what about inflation? I, I, I just yeah. find it very difficult to believe that our prices are rising 1.7%. I mean, as a person who, uh, who, who is a middle income, perhaps a, an upper middle income person, my wife does the shopping and she just shakes her head at the notion that prices are 1.7%. Yeah. And you look at health care going up even before Obamacare. You know, I found a, a very interesting uh, T-shirt somebody had was wearing. It said, if you think, uh, if you think, uh, um, if you think your health insurance is expensive now, wait until it's free. Yeah, and that's the whole notion about uh, people think that government somehow is this uh, a fountain of wealth that they can just dispense all these goodies without having any cost uh, involved. And this is really the problem that people have been sold on, that no- the notion that government provides free goods. And we know that the government can't spend unless it first taxes, borrows, or prints money. And this is why there's such a, a, a disconnect between the people's perception of what they get from government and what it costs them. Uh, mostly hidden because people pay taxes through withholding and they don't really see if they don't pay attention of how much taxes are taken out of their paycheck. Plus we have sales tax, we have hidden taxes. Uh, if you look at your uh, cell phone bill, you've got taxes upon taxes upon taxes, yeah. utility bills. And so all this adds up. And, of course, the government, as John Williams points out, changed the definition of the market basket of goods which measures the CPI in 30 years ago, and so that has uh, caused the CPI to be a lot lower than it otherwise would be, plus the government makes this uh, uh, incredible disingenuous notion that if they improve, of, uh, if a company improves the quality of a good, then the price goes down, or it doesn't yeah. go up, even though uh, it, uh, it, we do get better uh, use out of it, but the point is, uh, if you look at each individual family's market basket, um, it's a lot different. But the whole point of a CPI is that it's supposed to be a fixed basket of goods and services. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That over time, we see what the price is. And when it goes up, that means that the monetary inflation has, has lofted uh, the prices of goods and services throughout the economy. And years ago, I wrote a piece 30 years ago saying that we should really break up the CPI into what I call consumer um, uh, non-durable goods, durable goods, uh, uh, the cost of citizenship being taxes, federal, state, and local taxes, uh, consumer uh, capital goods, which would be housing, automobiles. And this would get a much better picture of what's happening in the various sectors of things that people buy and, of course, are forced to buy, which is what a government through their taxes. Right. Well, for sure. I mean, it's very interesting that taxes aren't factored into the cost of living, but they're very much a, a factor of the cost of living. And, uh, and of course, then it takes away discretionary uh, spending Absolutely. on the part of, uh, part of the individual. So you have some supposed mastermind that is deciding how your uh, y- y- the fruits of your labor should be spent. So what is sense of uh, what is the sense uh, Murray that you have in terms of what it it might cost to keep a family of four alive? I mean uh, John Williams talks about something closer to 8 or 9%. Um yeah. what are you what are your thoughts? I don't think it's that high. Um I, I look at my own personal uh situation and we live in a co-op here in uh, northern New Jersey, mm-hmm. and our biggest expense is our maintenance, our monthly maintenance, which is pretty high, and that's been stable now for four years, so that's mm-hmm. one good thing. Let me give you another example of uh, how prices got up. We have long-term care insurance policies, my wife and I, mm-hmm. and I think a year ago, we got a 30% increase. Yeah. It was a huge increase in our long-term care policy, yeah. and our uh, 
our automobile insurance has been relatively stable. I think we've got some bump up in our um, apartment insurance, uh, but my wife tells me uh, fruits and vegetables and other staples that she buys at uh, Trader Joe's and other supermarket uh, chains, uh, they've been going up steadily for the mm-hmm. past year. Yeah, indeed. Uh, and, so, of course, uh, and, of course my, and, of course, my property taxes keep on going up every year as well. Oh, man, you're in New Jersey, so you've got some gigantic property taxes there, I think, don't you? Well, even though we're supposed to have a cap on property taxes that Governor Christie imposed, uh, I still see property taxes going up, I think, more than 2% a year. And so uh, that's a big claw in my throat because uh, my wife and I have never had children, and property taxes, 60% or more, go for, goes for public schools, and our state income tax goes for public schools. So uh, we are subsidizing families with children, and that's... Uh, really, a, 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 I think, a, a major aggression against people who have made a choice, and yet you have to pay a penalty for making that choice in yeah. Yeah, well, that's that's right. Well, that's the the heavy hand of government made very possible by the Federal Reserve, and the creation of money out of nothing, uh, the demolition and debasement of our currency for sure. Uh, you're working on a documentary that I find uh, the title is very 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 interesting, and I'd like to see it sometime. I'd, if it's possible, I'd like to to see the uh, the initial showing of that. But I understand it's coming out on December fourth. The title is uh, The Federal Reserve's 100-Year Legacy, Boom, Bust, Inflation, and Unemployment. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. I mean, it's, I think the, the title tells a lot about what it's about. But you, you've got this coming out, is it December 4th, and it's going to be showing at, at your college at Ramapo? Right, and people can send me an RSVP. It'll be shown at 7 p.m. Uh, December 4th at Ramapo College, which is located in Marwan, New Jersey. You can go to the website, ramapo.edu. People can RSVP me at mcgrin at ramapo.edu. Uh, we have room for about 200 people. I think we have about uh, almost half the room filled already with RSVPs. Mm-hmm. So people can come and see this uh, hour documentary that I started to work on in the fall of last year. And we interviewed Tom DiLorenzo, who's written, uh, written books on Lincoln and the House Capitalism Saved America. Bob Murphy, who's written two um, politically incorrect guides, one for the Great Depression and one about uh, the New Deal. Um, uh, Paul Majanovic, uh, who's a, a financial planner and who's written Stock Investing for Dummies. Uh, we also have um, uh, Richard uh, Silla, who is one of the nation's top financial historians, uh, who's the co-author of the History of Interest Rates. Two of my uh, colleagues in economics and accounting are appearing, and Robert Reich from South Dakota, who's written on uh, financial history as well. And I'm trying to think of somebody else there uh, who I can't remember off the top of my head. But we've got a great group of people talking about the history of the Fed, uh, uh, what happened in American business and finance before the Fed was created. And um, I conclude that if uh, the Fed wants to have another 100 years, they should uh, honor its promise to the American people when it was created to... Um, eliminate the business cycle and stop debasing the currency, which means what? Don't print money, don't have easy quantitative easing, and so just be what um, uh, we, we could use the Fed for, which is basically a clearinghouse for banks, but if they engage in this quantitative easing, which is nothing more than you pointed out, uh, a subsidy to the major banks, because the, they were in the forefront behind the scenes to create the Federal Reserve, because it cartelized the banking system, that's what the evidence shows. I was a history major, so I was deeply involved in history um, uh, studies all my life, and of course with finance. In order to understand history, you really have to understand finance and economics. I think the best history that I've read 
has been written by economists and financial people because they understand the dynamics of how societies evolve mm -hmm. and by taxes. Charles Adams' great book for good and evil. So if you look at world history, it's really about economics, finance, and taxation and how all those issues come together as society evolves. And then on top of that, you have all these wonderful innovations and creations by brilliant people throughout world history mm -hmm. for the past several hundred years in transportation, communications, healthcare, retailing, uh, technology. It just goes down the list, and that's why we have such a great standard of living compared to other civilizations. But the point is the Federal Reserve is undermining this with its cheap money policies, which destroys the currency, which is a, a basic anchor for financial statements and balance sheets. And, of course, it, it decimates uh, low- and middle-income families while it creates uh, multi-billionaires that are billionaires. That's one of my taglines now is that if you, you like the Federal Reserve if you're a billionaire because it makes you a multi-billionaire, yeah. and um, multi-millionaires become multi-multi-millionaires because they are the initial recipients of the, of the new easy money because Wall Street is thriving, as we've seen since 2009. QE and uh, the stock market have been perfectly correlated for the past five years. Yeah. Well, there's no question about it. And, and also, uh, in addition to the problems that you that you talked about just now about the, what what happens when the Fed creates money out of nothing, I would also suggest, and I know that you would agree, that it create that it leads to malinvestment. So when you create yeah. money out of nothing, that new money cre competes with the money that was saved from people's right. uh, sweat and and um, you know lack of con uh, foregoing consumption. And so basically, what you're doing is transferring wealth and capital away. From from productive purposes, uh, productive means into non-productive means. I want to ask you, Murray, you know, the um, the Fed has its stated goals, which we hear repeatedly about uh, full employment and, and low inflation, right. right? That's what they're supposed to do. Uh, right. and, and, and it seems to me, uh, tell me if you disagree or agree, I, I think you'll agree, that basically we've had more pronounced uh, business cycles since the Fed came into existence yeah. than we had previously. So it doesn't seem to me as though they're doing very good in terms of their stated goals. And then I want to ask right. you about perhaps some unstated goals. But, but how, I mean, would you give the Fed, could you give them a passing grade at all, a D minus, on what their well, stated that, goals? No, based upon their stated goals, they've been a total failure. That's yeah. what uh, a couple of the uh, guests uh, on the documentary point out, is that their uh, avowed goals of making the dollar uh, a strong currency has been totally um, uh, mismanaged. And, of course, we've had uh, the, the Great Depression, the mini Great Depression of 1920-2021, the Great Depression, which lasted more than a decade, a series of uh, recessions, including the deep recession of 73-75. Uh, I think we had one recession from 79 to 82, the Carter-Reagan recession that really began under Carter. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, the, the latest one, which is... Um, the biggest one since the Great Depression, where the stock market went down and the financial institutions were teetering. And this points out um, what Austrian economists have been pointing out for, for, for decades, namely the fractions of banking system uh, uh, has to be propped up by a central bank. Otherwise, it collapses on its own weight because of its uh, uh, being unstable, mm -hmm. because they borrow short and lend long. Mm -hmm. And that's not a good business model for a financial institution because um, they're, they're in jeopardy of bank runs, and that's what happened in 29 to 33. And uh, when FDIC came in, that sort of stopped it. But yet people, um, in the 87 crash, I remember uh, one of my students who worked in a bank said people were calling them up and said, uh, is my money safe? So people yeah. are still sensitive to, uh, 
to uh, the money being safe in a, in a bank because they know banks are inherently bankrupt because the, most of the money that they take in is, is loaned out. Today, however, they're, they're uh, piling up reserves of $2 trillion worth, which is the really good news because if that money starts getting spent, then I think inflation will, will, instead of being crawling, according to the official statistics, will be really galloping because as that money gets into the system, as we all know, uh, prices will be bid up because we know the economy is an auction. You have buyers and sellers, and when buyers have more uh, money, they increase their bids and prices will start uh, heading to the roof. In fact, we're all seeing it now. You saw what happened yesterday in was it Christie's. A painting went for $150 million. Yeah. A diamond ring went for, I think, $68 million, $83 million. These are, these are uh, examples of all the easy money that's been created, which allows the super wealthy people to bid up the price of uh, hard assets. Well, the super wealthy people certainly have the ability to do that, as we were saying, you know, back at your Short Hills malls, and they're not necessarily all super wealthy people there. They're upper middle income people primarily, right. I would guess. But, but um, you know, the interesting thing, though, is that um, that while that's happening, the vast majority of people are finding themselves impoverished, and we see new highs in food stamps. We're seeing actually right. the number of people that are in the uh, in the labor force has been shrinking, has been going down very re- right. remarkably. And so I'm wondering, Murray, at the same time, you have all this money that's been pumped into the system. Much has happened in the 1930s. It's the pushing on the string analogy, it seems, once right. again, because you look at the the reserves are not getting lent out, and you're seeing you know a huge buildup in and um, are you seeing a reduction, a very, very, actually a plummeting in uh, in velocity or the turnover of money based on some things I'm seeing coming out of the Federal Reserve? What do you think might change this? How The rich can spend and they can bid up and they can, you know, reallo- right. the wealth is being reallocated in their favor against the average people. But when do you think we might see that money start to take off and the velocity of money starts to starts to take off because after all the vast majority of people and larger and larger numbers of them aren't able to spend they're saving what they have because they can't put food on the table they have difficulty paying the rents and the mortgages when do you think this is going to change or will it change or will we be back you know are we are we where we were in the 1930s in many ways well, that's, that, that, that I think is a $64,000 question that everyone's pondering. I think the consensus view on Wall Street and Washington is that inflation is non-existent and therefore we don't have to worry about it. Mm-hmm. The Fed can inflate um, uh, to its heart's content and nothing's gonna, nothing bad's going to happen. But I think what's going to happen, because I've, I've followed this for a long, long time, is that corporations, te- uh, businesses tend not to raise prices at the end of the year because they don't want to stymie people's uh, holiday shopping uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, patterns. And I think after the first of the year, you get a lot of price increases. I think we may see price increases at the uh, beginning of 2014. There seems to be a seasonal pattern. I have to do some more research on this, but mm-hmm. I think historically, uh, companies hold back their price increases to the new year. And then what's going to happen, people's expectations, because uh, people have money in money market funds. Uh, it's, we're starting to see people going back to the stock market now with this, after this big run-up. And so uh, people are antsy because they don't know what to do. They're getting zero in a money market fund, yeah. which to me is the greatest theft that, could, that is occurring because normal interest rates, which is what I teach in corporate finance, is we should have a 2% real rate and a 2% inflation rate. That should, um, so we should have about 4% money market rate. Yeah. We're getting zero. Yeah, so and that's, that, that's, that's using the government's numbers. If you believe, as I do, yeah. that's somewhat higher, then it should be a lot higher than that. But Yeah, yeah. so people are getting decimated. Seniors are getting decimated. Oh, for and sure. so 
And so they're very leery of spending because they're just trying to keep their head above water. Exactly. And so right now people have, I think, the fear factor has kicked in. Uh, I just saw on Google News, Heinz just laid off a whole bunch of people, is going mm-hmm. to lay off a whole bunch of people. Lockheed Martin is laying off a whole bunch of people. So all these major corporations are laying off people less right. My students see it, college students around the country see it, and that's why they're becoming more entrepreneurial because they know that if they work for a large corporation, that is not a guarantee of 40, 50 years and a gold watch at the end of the rainbow. They know that they have to really make it on their own in today's economy because businesses are doing the best they can in a global economy to cut costs, and that's exactly what's happening, and that's really hurting the, uh, the generation that came uh, out of World War II and worked for companies for 30, 40, 50 years. Those days are long gone. They've been gone for a long, long time, and so you have this new Internet technology um, sector that is spawning a lot of uh, innovation and creativity, and you saw that uh, company profiled by these two young fellows who have no revenue, and yet Facebook offered them $3 billion cash, and they turned it down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just amazing what's going on in the Internet um, world, that yeah. um, valuations are through the roof. Twitter is selling at an ex- extraordinary valuation. So this is really reminiscent in many ways of the roaring 20s, yeah. where you had radio stocks and all the high-tech stocks of the yeah. 20s were bid up to ex- uh, uh, incredible values. Right, and then you had a collapse. Then you had a bubble yeah, that it. burst. Well, this is the whole point. Uh, back in the late 20s, there was virtually no inflation in our economy. If you look at the uh, uh, economists, they were saying there's no inflation, there's no inflation, so therefore there's no problem. You're seeing the same thing right mm-hmm. now in 2013 mm-hmm. that people say there's no inflation, but the inflation, as we've seen, is in real estate. Um, uh, prices in Manhattan are through the roof. Mm-hmm. In Miami, prices in real estate is up, 20, up 25% the last year. Phoenix is booming again. Texas is booming. Uh, and so you have all this money concentrated in a very few areas. California, I think, is picking up. And so you've got um, auction prices uh, at historic levels that are really incredible. When people are paying $80 million for a diamond, it tells you that money is super, super easy in our economy. And yet there are so many people, as you pointed out, that are living on food stamps, that are living day-to-day, on, on paycheck-to-paycheck which just shows you um, the inequality is the result of easy money. It's not because of capitalism or free enterprise, which some leftists would say, a lot of leftists would say, all of them would say yeah. that, but it's because of the Fed redistributing income from low- and middle-income people to upper-income people. Well, Murray, um, do you think we're vulnerable for a stock market collapse here or a decline? Well, as long as the Fed keeps pumping, and that's what Janet Yellen has been saying in her testimony, that uh, the economy is fragile and we're going to keep on pumping. Mm-hmm. So uh, as long as they keep on pumping, you saw what happened when uh, QE was um, was uh, halted for a bit. The stock market had a, what, a 5 8% correction. So if they stop it completely, which I don't think they can because they're sort of boxed in. In their, with, uh, in their own policy that uh, they see the market could correct 5-10% literally in a, in a few days if they put their uh, foot off the uh, gas pedal. And so we're in an era of, I think, super easy money. Uh, the, the key thing that I think is the key here is will the dollar, um, will the holders of dollars overseas see the Fed's um, continued inflationary policy as a signal to exit the dollar and I've always said when I first learned this four years ago that the dollar is the key to this thing. Mm-hmm. If, if the expectation is the dollar will go down in value and gold goes through the roof, then I think it's checkmates for the U.S. government because um, the Fed will have to monetize everything in sight, 
buy all the treasuries that the Chinese and the Koreans and the Japanese and the Europeans would be selling. Yeah, but at the same time, Murray, they could do that, and uh, they could keep interest rates down. I mean, the very, it, it, I'm wondering what is the bigger bubble. The the Treasury market it seems to me yeah. is the most vulnerable yeah. thing, and and clearly, uh, just the mere mention of of tapering sent the uh, the bond you know interest rates up dramatically, which affected the stock market then, and and they can't even even hint about taking. Uh, their foot off the gas pedal, or else the whole thing could just spiral downward. Yeah. It seems to me, and so it seems to me that that Janet Yellen is going to be uh, just pumping like mad. That probably make Bernanke's pumping look like child's play. <laughs> Do you see the same thing? Well, this is the thing: is uh, whenever a Fed chairman has uh, has uh, a new Fed chairman has been installed, whether it's Volcker in '79, um, let's see Greenspan in '87. Um, uh, Bernanke in 2006. There's always been a, a stock market crash or a mini crash. Yeah, and it seems to me it, it, it seems to me that they've taken their foot off the gas during those times yeah. too. As I'm thinking back a little bit, probably trying to establish some credibility as a, as, yeah. as a preserver yeah. of of a purchasing power. But I don't see the ability of Yellen to even do that. Do you? Do you? No, no. Th- th- this is why I think we're in it, this uh, perpetual money printing era. Yeah. Yeah. That, that that they believe um, that easy money, low interest rates, is the key to lowering unemployment and stimulating the economy, and that this is alchemy. This is the modern day version of financial alchemy. Is that low interest rates is the key to to prosperity? And if that's the case, after five years of this, why isn't the economy booming where we have full employment? And, well, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. this is, I think, the conundrum that they put themselves in. Absolutely, you know, it's. Uh, I, I think it was Einstein that defined insanity as continuing to do the same thing over and over again, expecting different yeah. results. If we go back to look at uh, Murray Rothbard's account of the Great Depression, it seems to yeah. me we're doing exactly the same thing, only more so now. And in fact, um, it's not working. Uh, it, it is clearly not working. Although you know, you can you can jiggle the numbers as the government does. I think both on the in- employment and on the inflation side to make things look better than they really are. But uh, I, I agree with you. I think the big the big um, variable here is the dollar. If the dollar all of a sudden uh, tanks, you know, vis-a-vis other currencies around the world, then I think we could be looking at an inflation rate that that yeah. turns around and, and is really a problem. In fact, I know in talking to John Williams, that's his thesis. That's what he believes will trigger a, uh, mm-hmm. a hyperinflationary problem. Do you see that as a possibility? Well, yeah, remember what happened in '79 to '88 uh, is that the uh, the Japanese, well, the Chinese were not important, the Indians were not important in the world economy. So all those dollars that were created by the Fed during the Carter administration basically stayed in America and drove yeah. the uh, prices up and drove the dollar down. As over the overseas holders said, we got to get rid of the dollar, and that's when gold went from uh, uh, 100 to 850 dollars in four years. Mm-hmm. And so uh, if Gold has already had a big run-up. It's having its correction now, and then I think it's going to go into the uh, into the multi thousands of dollars an ounce as it goes to its true value, which we can quibble over the exact number. But if you take the Federal Reserve's two hundred fifty million dollars, two hundred fifty million ounces of gold that they hold purportedly uh, on the books, and divide it by uh, M two uh, or some broad measure of the money supply of um, 
then you got close to $10,000 an ounce per mm-hmm. uh, gold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've heard other people on this show uh, suggest that you have to throw in uh, credit card money that's out there, unused credit lines yeah. and so forth can also, and you start to use those numbers, and it, it even goes higher than that. I think I think none of us really want to see that, Murray, because I think when with that would come uh, a hellish economic scenario, and, yeah. and we don't yeah. want to see that. But, you know, if, if only the government could hide its Pinocchio nose, if only the government... If only the government could be truthful with us, uh, if the people demanded the government be truthful with us. But, you know, we've just talked earlier in today's show, uh, we just listened to an interview that James Turk did with Chris Powell of the Gold Antitrust Action Committee. And Chris makes a very good case uh, for the notion that the government and its uh, major bullion bank uh, operatives have really done a job in the paper markets to uh, to understate the price of gold right now. Do you have a sense of whether or not there is some hanky-panky going on in the gold markets that might be keeping the true gold price down and thereby conning people into accepting paper money? Yeah, it, it seems to me every time uh, gold goes down to about the 1,200 level, it bounces back up, which seems to me that there's a, a raid going on here to drive the price down mm-hmm. because physical demand, I've been reading, is strong all over the world. Mm-hmm. I just read that the Chinese are opening up a huge uh, uh, gold um, depository facility in China to uh, allow people to deposit gold and other mm-hmm. valuable objects in that. So I think the Chinese have had a long history of monetary disturbances understand that what real money is all about, same mm-hmm. thing with Indians and uh, people who have experienced hyperinflation around the world. The, the American people, um, last time we had a big battle of inflation was uh, 35 years ago. That means a lot of people don't know anything about uh, higher inflation. So I, I think we're going to see gold continue to go up steadily, and maybe there'll be a run where gold will go up one, two hundred, three hundred dollars a day because uh, people are just so frightened of uh, paper money all over the world that that'll trigger um, the, the, uh, the hoarding of, of uh, paper money, and then uh, we'll go to it. Uh, just to go back on gold, one of my students last uh, spring told me uh, one of his customers, he works for a car dealer, uh, who's a jeweler, said that uh, the Federal Reserve is buying gold, all the scrap gold they can. Mm. I haven't been able to track that down, mm-hmm. but if that, in fact, is happening, uh, maybe the, uh, the Fed is uh, secretly buying up as much gold as they possibly can without trying to move the needle on the price. Mm-hmm. That could uh, that that could make some sense, and and indeed, uh, uh, if they're uh, you know the bullion banks that work very closely with the government is out are, are out there uh, hitting the physical or the the paper markets to drive the price yeah. down would allow you know keep people disinterested, keep the masses disinterested in gold, yep. keep them believing in paper, and then if that's the end game, and China and Russia and some other countries have really sort of hinted that they want to get rid of the dollar as the world's reserve currency and replace yep. it with something yep. else, at the same time. Uh, as you point out, China is is hoarding gold. They are the largest gold producer in the world. Plus, the amount of gold, I've, by some accounts that I've read, that they have imported through Hong Kong has equaled the total amount of production. So it, it could be that something is really going on, Murray. I do, wanna, I, I do think that you know, most listeners to this show are aware of gold 
and uh, and I think you know gold is really uh, the key to well let's say honest money is the key to economic freedom it's a big important part of economic freedom and free markets and and the more the governments seem to interfere in the markets it sort of makes them need to interfere even more and it, it started I think with big time I mean a lot of our problems started really well with the Roosevelt but then again in 1971 for sure when Nixon took us off the gold standard yes. uh, internationally because that's when we started having having this tremendous amount of credit that was created, monetary creation out of nothing. And now we're, we have, I think, Murray, basically a bankrupt world. It's the Western civilization, at least, is really in big trouble from what I can see right now. And this is not something that you and I want to see happen. We don't even want to, even like to, to be the bearer of bad news. But I want to thank you very much. I'm looking at the clock and realizing we're out of time. Uh, you have given us an awful lot to think about today, and I want to tell our listeners again, they, they should be going to Murray Sabrin, M-U-R-R-A-Y-S-A-B-R-I-N.com, to catch up with all that Murray's doing. He's got this wonderful documentary that's coming out. It's going to be uh, uh, available for viewing if you do RSVP him. Uh, Murray, what was that? They can go where again to RSVP? I uh, just got my email at, at Ramapo College, msabrin at ramapo.edu. It's going to be held, uh, the, the documentary will be shown December 4th, that's a Wednesday at 7 p.m. in Friends Hall at Ramapo College in Mawa, New Jersey. And um, they can go to the website, uh, college website, ramapo.edu, and get the directions. And just uh, RSVP me so we can know how many people will be there. We have room for 200. We have about 100 seats left. And um, we'd love to get standing room only because uh, I think it's going to be a great documentary. Uh, it's doing the final editing touches right now as we speak. Well, I tell you that if I can get Mrs. Taylor talked into going and if we can find the time, it's something that I would like to do. Meet up with you personally, Murray, again. I know we met a few years ago, uh, but also to see this wonderful documentary. I look forward to having you on my show again and talking to you about uh, the great work that you're doing. Thank you so much for being with me today. I appreciate it, Jay. Good to speak with you. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Paramount Gold and Silver is a U.S.-based exploration company with multi-million ounce gold and silver deposits. Paramount's primary asset, the Sleeper Gold Project in northern Nevada, is located in one of the world's most prolific mining districts. Paramount's gold equivalent resources stand at over 7 million ounces. Paramount trades on the NYSE under the symbol PZG. For more information, go to www.paramountgold.com. Paramount Gold is located for success in gold and silver exploration. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. 
Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Well, now I'm going to play a reenactment of one of the most famous speeches in American political history. It is the Cross of Gold speech given by Williams Jennings Bryan at the Democratic Convention in Chicago in 1896. The reenactment was recorded in 1996 to mark the 100th anniversary of that famous speech. And we want to thank the actor Don Fielder, as well as C-SPAN, for putting this reenactment in the public domain. Like John F. Kennedy, William Jennings Bryan stood for the common man who he believed deserved to enjoy the fruits of his labor just as much as the rich and powerful bankers and industrialists who lived on the East Coast had a right to to enjoy their fruits of their labor. Listen carefully to the enactment of the 1896 speech by Williams Jennings Bryan. Mr. Chairman and gentlemen of the convention, I would be presumptuous indeed if I were to present myself against the distinguished gentleman to whom you have just listened if this were a mere measuring of abilities. But this is not a contest between persons. The humblest citizen in all the land, when clad in the armor of a righteous cause, is stronger than all the hosts of error. I come to speak to you in defense of a cause as holy as the cause of liberty, the cause of humanity. Never before in the history of this country have we witnessed the contest as through the one that we have just passed. Never before in the history of American politics has a great issue been debated as this issue has been by the voters of a great party. When the advocates of gold come to us and tell us that we are about to disturb their business interests, we reply that you have disturbed our business interests by your course. We say to you, your definition of a businessman is too limited in its application. The man who is employed for wages is as much a businessman as his employer. The attorney in a country town is as much a businessman as the corporation consul in a great metropolis. The merchant at a crossroads store is as much a businessman as the merchant of New York. When the advocates of gold come to us and tell us that we are to disturb their business interests, we reply that they have disturbed our business interests. The farmer who begins in the morning and toils all day, who starts in the spring and toils all summer, and who, with the application of brain and muscle to our country's resources, creates wealth, is as much a businessman as the man who goes upon the board of trade and bets upon the price of grain. 
the miner who goes down a thousand feet into the earth and climbs two thousand feet upon our cliffs and takes from their hiding places the, the precious metals that are poured into the channels of trade are as much a businessman as the few financial magnets who, in a back room, corner the money of the world. We come to speak for this broader class of businessmen. Ah, my friends, we say not one word against those who live on the Atlantic coast. But those hardy pioneers who have braved the dangers of the wilderness, who have made the desert to bloom as if a rose, those pioneers who have reared their children near to nature's heart where their voices can mingle with the voices of the birds, out there where they have erected schoolhouses for the education of their young churches where they praise their creator, and cemeteries where rest the ashes of their dead. These people, we say, are as deserving of the consideration of our party as any people in the country. It is for these people that we speak. We do not come as aggressors. Our war is not a war of conquest. We are fighting in the defense of our homes, our families, and posterity. We have petitioned, and our petitions have been scorned. We have entreated, and our entreaties have been disregarded. We have begged. And they mocked us when our calamity came. We beg no longer. We entreat no more. We petition no more. We defy them. My friends, we are about to decide upon which side will the Democratic Party fight. The sympathies of the Democratic Party, as shown by the platform, have been on the side of the struggling masses, which have forever been the foundation of our party. There are two ideas of government. There are those who believe that if you will only legislate to make the well-to-do prosperous, that their prosperity Prosperity and prosperity will leak down on those below. The democratic idea, however, has been that if you will legislate to make the masses prosperous, that their prosperity will find its way up through every class that rests upon them. You come to us and tell us that your great cities are in favor of the gold standard. We reply that your great cities rest upon our broad and fertile prairies. Burn down your cities and leave our farms, and your cities will spring up again as if by magic.
but destroy our farms, and grass will grow on the streets of every city in the country. We care not upon what lines the battle is fought, having behind us the struggling masses of this nation and the world being supported by the commercial interests and laboring interests and toilers everywhere, we will answer their demand for a gold standard by saying to them, you shall not press down upon the brow of labor this crown of thorns. You shall not crucify mankind upon a cross of gold. We have to go to break now, but when we come back, I will have some comments about this week's show and a word about next week's guests. Don't go away. I'll be right back. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Golden Arrow Resources on the TSX Exchange has recently made a new silver discovery and is presently drilling a 6,500-meter program on that discovery. A maiden resource calculation is expected to be released in April of this year. The project is located in Jujuy Province in northern Argentina, just 30 kilometers from the Perquitas Mine operated by Silver Standard. Golden Arrow has an experienced team with decades of experience in Argentina. Golden Arrow offers shareholders exceptional leverage with an exciting new silver discovery. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Well, I hope you enjoyed the speeches by John F. Kennedy and William Jennings Bryan, both of whom stood up for the common man against a ruling elite that is destroying the America that our founding fathers risked their lives to give us. Bryan talked about how the rich, powerful elite from the Atlantic coast were using their gold holdings to keep capital away from common folks. He wanted to comply with the Constitution, which allowed for both silver and gold as legal money. The rich and powerful bankers, however, only wanted gold because that's what they held and they could thereby keep capital away from the masses and from average common folks. Nothing has really changed since William Jennings Bryan's speech of 1886 except now the same rich and powerful ruling families who prevailed in 1886 are not using gold now but rather are using fiat money as a means of robbing the average Americans, of stealing wealth from the average Americans. And they're doing that, of course, by printing money and by reallocating wealth through an inflationary process. 
The fear of the military-industrial complex that Eisenhower warned us about is now a reality, and it is exactly the secret societies that John Kennedy warned us about in that Newspaper Association speech back in 1961 that are now more than ever destroying the lives of average Americans. Through secrecy and deception of the major media and manipulation of the gold price, as Chris Powell discussed, Americans are being kept down on the mushroom farm where they are being kept in the dark and fed fecal matter. The purpose of this show is to shine light on the evildoers who are now in control of our political process, not only with the hope that one day they will be stopped, but more importantly to help listeners to this show not be duped by the self-serving propaganda that is in the mainstream press, which after all is owned and operated by the same ruling elite that Brian and Kennedy and others have warned us about. So while the gold price is being artificially trashed right now by the ruling elite, more than likely in my view, a very few filthy rich and powerful families are in the process right now of gaining as much of the yellow metal as they can. What I am suggesting is that you take advantage of the current weakness in the gold price and the silver price to get those precious metals into your portfolio because, as Murray Sabrin noted, there will not be any tapering of the money printing press anytime soon. And as a result, the ability of the ruling elite to keep fooling the people into holding dollars will likely soon end. Sooner or later it will end, that's for sure. And when that happens, Murray suggests and I think he is right, the price of gold will be headed to much higher levels. Murray suggests $10,000. Others on this show have suggested much higher prices than that. And I would also suggest that now you should be very, should be a very good time also to add some gold shares to your portfolio because the gold shares are so out of fashion. That's all the time we have for this week. Next week I expect to have Peter Granich with me to talk about what he's doing with his money these days and how he's planning for the future. Also, I'm hoping that attorney Clark Neely will be with me to discuss his new book titled Terms of Engagement, How Our Courts Should Enforce the Constitution's Promise of Limited Government. In closing, I want to thank uh, the staff at Voice America, Tacey Trump, my producer, Matt Widener, my engineer, for making this show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening, making this the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.